Well, thanks, Carol, for, uh, for praying with us uh, this morning. And uh, good morning, College Drive Community Church. This is where you say good morning. Well, three of you were awesome. All right, I bring you greetings uh, this morning from a bunch of places. But before I get to that, I wanted to, uh, you know, officially wish you again Happy Father's Day. I know that uh, Happy Father's Day is an interesting expression, and it can mean different things for different people. Uh, one of the things about Father's Day is if you have had a wonderful celebratory experience of a biological father, or an adopted father, or a father figure, then this day could potentially be wonderful for you. If you have more of a conflicted understanding or experience, of course, that can be more painful. Uh, I heard uh, someone speak about father wounds or daddy wounds. I didn't even know that was a thing. But apparently that's a thing that people need a lifetime of counseling for. So I'm going to send my children now pre, like checks predated for all of their daddy wounds. Uh, recently, this week actually, our oldest son Paul, who was part of this family for a short time in about 2015 or so, and he sent me a text saying, Dad, he said, I had a dream last night that we were in church in Yarrow. I don't know why, because that's not where we go to church. But he says, we were in church in Yarrow, and you were hassling me for texting during the service. And I was more angry with you than I've been in many years. And I was like, what am I supposed to do with that? So I send him a text back saying, first of all, there may be underlying issues to your dream. And we may need to talk about them before Father's Day. And I said, you're loving but imperfect father. Anyway, he responded, and he actually was the first person to call this, me this morning for Father's Day. Uh, he lives in Washington, D.C., and uh, this coming October, he will be a father, a biological father. He and Heidi are expecting uh, a baby girl, actually. They've announced that to everyone. So as you know, then, there's, there's potential kind of woundedness from our own experience of father, and there's also the other, which is parents, biological parents or even adoptive parents who experience kind of pain because of their own children. And so I'm aware of both of those things today, that there may be kind of pain from that you kind of inherit because of your experience and also pain because of you think about your own children. And so this morning, I hope you have space that this happy Father's Day might actually mean grieving Father's Day for you. So I hope you find space for that. Now this morning, I'd like to bring you greetings as I do all the time when I come here. This is kind of like my second church. Uh, Kimball has allowed me to have sort of this unofficial associate membership uh, to light, uh, yeah, this church. And he uh, has allowed me to come almost every year to speak. So I bring you greetings, though, from our home church, which is meeting this morning. Karen and I normally attend, and hopefully there's a picture of it somewhere. Yeah, there we go. This is the Life Center Church where we put out 18 flags every Sunday. Plus, there's flags inside that represent the nations that come and worship together with us because we believe the Church of Jesus Christ is a multicultural, multi-ethnic uh, family that together bows in front of the foot of the cross and worships Jesus. So uh, those flags all represent people within our church. And so I just hope and pray that we can say that about all of our churches. I know you're moving in that direction here as well. The second greeting I have for you is Columbia Bible College in Abbotsford, BC, where I spent 31 years uh, teaching. And this past, about a month and a half ago or so, I was 
uh, I was invited to speak at the final uh, graduation for my time there. And so I got, a, I got a chance to do that. And it's really close to my heart. And uh, having a Bible college within our family is a privilege. And so I know that different provinces have connections with different places and we're just blessing. But I pray that you might pray for more students to go somewhere uh, to a Bible college, to a, per, a place of discipleship training. Uh, we stopped yesterday. We were driving past Briarcrest, so I stopped and we took some pictures and I just prayed for that place. And we want uh, more and more young adults to be part of these training programs, wherever that is, for the glory of Jesus. And lastly, I bring you greetings from the Canadian Conference of MB Churches, of which I work now. The office is in Winnipeg, but they graciously allowed me to stay living in Abbotsford. I don't know why, but they allowed me to do that. And so this is a family of churches, 230-some, and about 50,000 people from across the country who are coming together today to worship the same Jesus, declare the same uh, purpose and mission that we share here in Lethbridge. And so I bring you those greetings. They're also connected with USMB, and then we have an ICOM family. I don't know if you heard of that. But our ICOM family has 22 national conferences around the world, the biggest of which are India and also Congo. So, you know, people tell me, like, what exactly is, is Mennonite food? And I say butter chicken. Because there are more Mennonites today eating butter chicken than there are any other type of food. So lunchtime, Mennonite food. All right. So I bring you greetings there, and my job is actually to oversee spiritual health and theology. And I always kind of wonder, like, what kind of job is that? And I joked, I probably did here, like, the guy who hired me about a year and a half ago, he uh, was on a Zoom call with me, and he says, hey, you know, here I was happily teaching at Columbia. Like, there was no kind of, like, and he says, would you like to be NFL director? And I thought, NFL director? Like, we were right near the Seattle Seahawks, and NFL's big in our area. NFL director, like, oh. And I, I don't, he went on, and blah, 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 job is this, blah, blah. I didn't hear any of that. I just heard NFL director. <laughs> so anyway, I should have listened. Anyway, I'm on the airplane sometimes now, traveling all across the country, and I, people ask me, what do you do? And I say, I'm the NFL director. And then they look at me really puzzled. I don't know whether it's the perfect body for NFL, or whether I'm in the middle seat on a flare flight. It could be one of those, I'm not sure which one, but they're a little bit surprised that I'm NFL director. Now, when it comes to this task, it's interesting that this task is about spiritual health and theology. And this led me back to a, maybe because it's Father's Day, I think of a movie we watched way back called The Princess Bride. Have you heard of that? I don't know if you're old enough. Kimball, you're pretty young. Okay, okay, Kimball's heard of it. Thank you. Now, when it comes to The Princess Bride, there's many memorable lines, right? How many of you have never seen this? You've never watched the movie. Raise your hand. Oh, no. That's inconceivable. <laughs> Amen? Okay. So I'm hoping for Father's Day you might look it up. Some of you, I don't want to embarrass you. This we are no, There's no shame here. Amen? Now, there's all kinds of wonderful lines. Some of them are, you know, things like, my name is Anigo Montoya, you killed my father, prepare to die. That person still need to come to our church and hear about peace and reconciliation. There's also other kind of lines in there. 
uh, that word isn't, uh, doesn't think it means what you think it means. But the one I'm going to refer to is um, Prince, Count Rugen actually, when he was talking to Prince Humperdinck, and at this critical moment, he says to Prince Humperdinck, get some rest. If you don't have your what? Health, you don't have anything. And that kind of prompted in me this Mark 8.36, Mark 8.36, where it says, you know, essentially, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul or life or being? And I find that a profoundly significant text. What good is it for a person to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? When, I think I've mentioned this before, I'm sure I have, Japanese parents, when they were asked what they really wanted for their children, guess what they said? Success. Financial success in particular. When American parents were asked what they wanted for their children, they almost uniformly said, we want them, we don't care about anything else, we just want them to be happy. And I find that very interesting because we as Christian parents who theoretically care about this verse... When we look at our children, I mean, as much as we want them to have all these things and eventually move out of our basement, amen, the biggest priority for us should be spiritual health, amen? Is there any amends to that? Some parents, okay? So spiritual health is the most significant thing possible. And that is actually, interesting enough, the task they gave me. Once I got over that whole NFL director... I came to look at that job description. It was actually about spiritual health. Now, what exactly is spiritual health? Now, I really wish, like, I have a brother in town here, younger brother, on a, on a significant cancer journey. It's one of the reasons why we're here all week, and we were here uh, about a month ago, and we've been coming back regularly, is on a cancer journey, one of the things they do is they constantly monitor your physical health. They have all these scans they do, and there's all this, there's this thing called a SAT level. Have you heard of that? A SAT level is the level of oxygen in your blood at any given moment. And that SAT level, they actually have little ways of testing it. Now, when I look at that, I think, wouldn't it be fantastic if we kind of could put on some little thing on us and say, oh, your Holy Spirit level is at 75, Woo! Go into emergency right now because that's a low level. We need to be in the 90s if we're going to have spiritual health. Wouldn't it be amazing to have some sort of easy way of checking our spiritual priority and our spiritual health? Now, I went to University of Lethbridge uh, many years ago, and I took the Bachelor of Education program there. I don't know if anybody else has taken that. Okay, good. Then I can make up whatever story I want right now. Anyway, they told us that when we prepare classes and lessons, we need to think about three significant learning objectives. The first one has to do with knowing something. So in other words, we have to communicate something that people presumably don't yet know. And I thought that's all teaching is about, is just communicating things that people don't know. But they said, no, no, that's not it. That's not the end of the journey. The second thing is you need to have people experience something or feel something that deeply impacts and transforms them. And number three, you actually have to work toward actions that are different. And that was actually very transformative for me 
because in the 31 years of teaching at Columbia, I, used to, I thought originally, I'm just going to be teaching them stuff, mostly Old Testament in my case. But I came to realize that's not enough. We need to do much more than information transmission. We need to be transformative in person and character and in life. And I think, I hope and pray this morning that you get a sense of that here. I'm not just trying to communicate information. I'm trying to have, encourage you to think about what experience and also what actions could change as a result of this. Now, when we think about that, I'm going to suggest before we even get into the three big priority rocks for spiritual health, we have to begin with an experience. And so, as you, can you stand with me? There is no spiritual health without the presence of the Holy Spirit. Can we get an amen for that? There is no spiritual health without the presence of the Holy Spirit. And there is no presence of the Holy Spirit. I should be careful. The Holy Spirit does not indwell you unless you are willing to invite the Holy Spirit by bowing in front of Jesus because the Holy Spirit and Jesus' Spirit are synonymous. Does it make sense? The Holy Spirit and Jesus' Spirit are synonymous. So we need, as we come to spiritual health, the first thing we ask is, have we experienced the transformation and forgiveness that Jesus offers us? And then the second part of that, if we have, and if you haven't this morning, we constantly invite you to that. Because bowing down in front of the foot of the cross is an act of grace. There is nothing in your history that disqualifies you from bowing down and being washed by the blood of Jesus. So there is grace in this moment. And so that is the first thing. The second thing is when you bow in front of Jesus, Jesus gives you a new identity. And that new identity has three parts. The first one is child of God. It says in uh, 1 John 3, 1, I don't know if you covered this, but... You know, what great love the Father has lavished on us that we might be called children of God. So when I hear people tell me, like, everyone's a child of God, I say, no, not according to the Bible. According to the Bible, you are a child of God when you bow down in front of Jesus and welcome his forgiving grace. So if you have bowed down in front of Jesus, you can tell yourself that. Now, can you tell the person beside you, you are a child of God? I, I'm, I'm just, if they haven't yet... Hopefully, you're going to encourage them toward that, okay? But just tell them, you are a child of God. Okay, I didn't hear that very much. This section here is very concerning, okay? This is where all the introverts are. They're sitting over there. They're uh, allergic to people. Don't worry, God has a plan for your life still. Okay, so Jesus gives you three parts of your new identity. Number one, you're a child of God. So when, I think Carol mentioned, when we pray the Lord's Prayer, we say our Father, because now we are children of God. The second thing is we are citizens of the kingdom. That is the second part of your identity. Citizens of the kingdom means, just like our church, we have all these flags outside, but guess what? In the front of our church, there's no Canadian flag, there's no American flag, there's the cross. And our number one loyalty is not to any other kingdom but this kingdom. And the third part of your identity is you're a member of the body of Christ. You are now part of a family. So those are three. You first of all receive forgiveness, transformation by grace. Second of all, you have an identity. And third, you have the filling of the Spirit. 
Spiritual life requires all three of those things, so the filling of the Spirit. I've been challenging pastors across Canada to begin every service by inviting and welcoming the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit's in this room. Oh, but we need to welcome the Holy Spirit to fill us and indwell us. So let's do that. Is that okay if we do that? Can you put your hands out a little bit? Because we're welcoming the Holy Spirit to this place. God, I just thank you. I thank you for this Father's Day. I thank you that you are the ultimate Father. I thank you, Father, that you are inviting us to bowing in front of you to transformation, to a new identity, and to a filling of the Spirit. And Lord, may you fill us this morning because we cannot give away what we do not possess. Father, may we be filled with your love so we can love others. May we be filled with your joy so we can express your joy over others. May we fill of your patience so we can be patient with others. With your peace and with your patience, your kindness, your goodness, your faithfulness, your gentleness, your self-control, may you fill us this morning with those things. And may the world see us and come to know you because of it. And Lord, we pray together, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever, and all the people said, amen. All right, be seated. Okay, so... I started off, spiritual, spiritual health begins with what? This is where you're supposed to chime something in positive. Experience. Can we say that? An experience of God's transformation. So the first thing before we even get to these three big rocks is we need to experience God's transformation. That is the foundation of spiritual health. Now, there's three things I'm going to tell you that you should know. The first one. We have some verses actually up there. Can you read them with me? I don't know if you can see them. It's Matthew 4.23. All right, can you read them out loud with me? Is that okay? I don't know, Kimball, is this what people do? Or am I, I may never get invited back, but that's okay. Come visit us in BC. Now, Matthew 4.23, read it with me. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Next text, Matthew 9:35. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. Matthew 24:14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. And finally, Matthew 6:33. Seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Now, I'm hoping you will notice something that might be surprising to you. When I grew up, I thought the gospel was very simple. I'm a sinner. I cannot exist eternally with God. I need Jesus to forgive me, and that's the end of the gospel. But it's interesting, when Jesus was on earth, guess what he called the gospel? What's the good news? The kingdom. The kingdom is the good news. Jesus is coming, has come to earth to put down all the powers of Satan, sin, and death to forgive each of us our sins by grace and he's reestablishing re his kingdom fully against the powers of darkness to transform the world. And so if you look at that, 
I, it wasn't wrong what I was taught as a child. It just wasn't complete. It wasn't the fullness of what Jesus actually proclaimed. It was only part of that truth. So Jesus came not simply to forgive my sins and your sins. Jesus came not simply to set a good example so we can be nicer people in our world. Jesus came to actually reestablish himself as king so that all authority in heaven and earth have been given to him. Now, the kingdom is partly here. I mean, you, you could look around and you say, hey, there's kingdom pockets all over the place, but the kingdom is not fully here. We drove by yesterday, actually two days ago, we drove right by the spot between Dauphin and Carberry on the number one highway. And those of you who've been watching the news know that it, I think it's at least 15 uh, senior citizens have passed away tragically in this accident. Another 10 at least, I think, are injured and so on. And that is not what's going to happen when the kingdom is fully here. There will not be this kind of death and pain and suffering. And so the kingdom is partly here, and we celebrate that, and at the same time we understand that the kingdom is not fully here. And Jesus is inviting us into the kingdom story. And that kingdom story is good news. It is the good news of Jesus' death, victory, resurrection, and coming kingdom. Because one day, Jesus is coming back to earth to fully establish the kingdom. I hear people say, like, what's the Christian hope? Oh, it's going to heaven. They say, no, no. The Christian hope is not going to heaven. The Christian hope is Jesus bringing heaven to earth, which is what we just prayed. And that is coming one day. And so when you think about the Christian hope at a funeral, um, if you think about someone passing away at the funeral, I hope I'd say we are so thankful that this person bowed in front of Jesus in grace. This person took on the new identity that Jesus offers. This person accepted the Holy Spirit into their life. And this person one day will be fully in God's new creation. Amen? That is the good news that we declare and proclaim. Now, when it comes to this kind of good news, the kingdom, it's sort of like putting on a jersey. In other words, like, I don't know about you, but when sports teams, uh, they often get people, like you can either get a jersey. I actually played basketball in Coaldale, and then I went off to University of Winnipeg and also a Bible college, and I played for the Bible college, then I tried out for the University of Winnipeg Westman, and they offered me a jersey. That's what they call, said the jersey is yours. In other words, you can earn a jersey. Anybody here been part of a team where you earned a jersey? Okay, that's a few of you. You need to get out more, some of you. Okay, so we get a jersey. Now, how many of you have a jersey that you didn't earn? Anybody have a jersey? You have a jersey? I saw a bunch of Rough Rider jerseys. What jersey do you guys have? Calgary Flames. How expensive was it? How expensive? Just guess. You didn't give that to Jesus? Like, you just spent... <laughs> okay, no shame. No shame. That's good. Okay. <laughs> Can we agree that there's two ways to wear a jersey? You either earn a jersey by making the team, or you buy a jersey, right? Is that fair? Sorry. We have to work. Sorry. We have the Shalom Project later. Um, but you know the good news of the gospel is that you do not earn the jersey of Jesus. You cannot earn the jersey of Jesus. 
It is given to you by Jesus. And second of all, you don't have to pay the price to put it on. Jesus has paid the price to put it on. I find that a remarkable thing, amen? That Jesus offers us a, a jersey. But becoming a Christian is not about getting a ticket to heaven. It's putting on a jersey. And when you put on a jersey, you almost have to put this jersey on every day. In 1986, Karen and I were married, and you know we don't go back every day, and we don't listen to the cassette. I don't know if you know what a cassette is really old. Like, we don't go and listen to the cassette every day and listen to our vows. We try to say, what do those vows mean today? So when you become a follower of Jesus, whatever point in your life, you put on a jersey. And it's not just that jersey doesn't just sit there, and you put other things on top of it. That is the jersey. And every single day you pray, Jesus, I want to put that jersey on today. I need to put that jersey on again, day after day. And it's actually by your grace that you put it on me. So the first thing we need to know about spiritual health and discipleship, besides the experience I just talked about, is that the gospel is about Jesus becoming king and bringing his kingdom to earth as it is in heaven. That is a knowing objective. The question is still going to be, what about an action objective that comes out of that? And I've just implied to you that every single morning, what should be your response to this knowledge objective? Put on the jersey again. Bow in front of Jesus and worship. And Karen and I have been trying to do this every morning. We try to declare things that are true every morning. Jesus, you are king. Jesus, you are love embodied and king enthroned. And we bow in front of you today and we pray that you would help us put on this jersey so we might seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. We cannot do this apart from your Holy Spirit filling us. And so we pray for each of the characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit because we need to experience them. John Mark Homer is the one I quoted in my prayer. He says, you cannot give away what you do not possess. And I know there's a lot of Christians who are trying to live a Christian life that they learn some sort of moralism. I say, you should not be pursuing moralism. Pursue the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the one that guides you into how to live. Not some sort of rules you got from your mom, as important as they might be. They, without the power of the Holy Spirit, we do not live for Jesus. All right, so there's an action step and there's a truth. I'd like to read also from Daniel 7, and, I, and it's just a section of Daniel 7. I don't know if you can see it all. Can you see it? Okay, some of you. All right, so let's read it together. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. The four great beasts are four kings that will rise from the earth, but the holy people of the Most High will receive the kingdom and will possess it forever, yes, forever and ever. Then the sovereignty, power, and greatness of all the kingdoms under heaven will be handed over to the holy people of the Most High. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all rulers will worship and obey him. So if you ask me, like, how do we know what the kingdom is about? I'd say, guess what? We read it in the Bible. Scripture is actually our number one source for what the kingdom is about. And when people want to know what Jesus was doing, 
Remember the story in Luke chapter 24 where these uh, disciples are walking on the road to Emmaus? Uh, we can put that one up right now. If we can read that together. And they're, you're wondering, what's going on? Jesus, this so-called, we thought he was the Messiah slash king, and now he's been crucified. And here it is, Luke 24, 25 to 27, read with me. He said to them, how foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And I would love to have been present on that day. I would love to have a video camera with Jesus explaining all this because my Old Testament survey class would have been way better. Don't say amen. <laughs> Those of you who have been in it, a little worried about that. Uh, so, but I think about this, I can't imagine that Jesus wouldn't have quoted Daniel 7. Don't you think? The kingdom that comes forever and ever and all the nations are worshiping Jesus. So when it comes to that, what do you need to know? The second big rock for, uh, for spiritual health is that the inspired gospel story is scripture is the inspired gospel story of God's kingdom coming to earth in and through Jesus. And so when I hear people say things like, well, we don't really need scripture, it's kind of old, and it's outdated, and we want to read books by really cool people that might mention the Bible, but they're more interesting than the Bible. See, if anything's more interesting to you than the Bible, you don't understand the Bible, okay? If you're going to read books by smart people about the Bible, but you don't actually read the Bible, there's something wrong in that story. Scripture is the primary means by which God communicates us to, uh, to us the kingdom, the gospel, our future, and how to live faithfully for Jesus. When I was first started teaching Old Testament survey, I started with, you know, how to, like all the key themes of all these books, and I just wondered why people looked sleepy, kind of like Kimball this morning. No, not right now, of course, but earlier. Earlier, yeah. Now he's like, totally there. I was kind of wondering, and then I realized that part of the reason is because the Bible is not a group of 66 books. It is a story. It is a story from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. It's a unified story. Tim Mackey from the Bible Project, whom I would recommend to you, he said that the Bible is a unified story pointing to Jesus. That's the whole Bible Project's theme. Now, if I were to talk to Tim, he and I had a little conversation, I would say, Tim, it's not just pointing to Jesus, it's pointing to Jesus, which is what he was pointing to, which is the kingdom. Jesus is not just pointing to himself, he's pointing to the kingdom, which is what he's coming back to bring. So it's very important that we understand the Bible is not simply, this is, these are my own words, no one ever quotes me, but I'm always hoping. The Bible is not simply a book to be studied, but a story to be joined. Does that sound... The Bible is not simply a book to be studied, but a story to be joined. If you were ever reading, you know, having devotional time, and you're here studying, memorizing, I say, stop memorizing without the purpose. The purpose is, are you going to join the story? Are you thinking about how you're going to join the story? This is not Bible trivia. This is a story. Will you understand your devotional time to be an invitation to join the story? So when it comes to all of that, some people have told me that, oh no, we're less concerned about the Bible and we're more concerned about Jesus and the Bible. I'm like, wow, that's interesting. On the one hand, it sounds perfect. They say, we believe that the inerrant, inspired word of God, living word of God, 
we believe in all of this, and his name is Jesus. And I say, I totally agree with you. But I also ask you, is there anything you know about Jesus that did not come from Scripture? Like, did you know something? You have some incredible insight about Jesus, and you found it where? Third Maccabees 40. Like, where did you find it? Because if you have things that you think you know about Jesus that are not in the Scripture, you should ask yourself a serious question. You should push pause and say, how do I know this? Well, we heard it from the Holy Spirit. Guess what? The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus. And the Holy Spirit is the same Spirit. It says in 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is theopneustus, God-breathed, and is useful for all these things. So if the Holy Spirit tells you something that is in conflict with the, the Bible, then you should ask the question, how in the world could the same Spirit that inspired Scripture and represents Jesus tell me and lead me in a direction that's in conflict with what Scripture has just said. And so, when you think about all of that, I hope that you hear today that if we want to be on a spiritual journey of spiritual health, we need to make sure that the Bible is valuable and important. And if uh, Kimball ever stops using the Bible, talk to me. Okay, just, we'll just talk now personally. Well, imagine he's not here. But if he does that, or if your church does that, it is no longer about Jesus through Scripture, then we're into a different Jesus. All right, so that's two things, the first two knowledge things. The, this first one was knowing the gospel. The second one is knowing the centrality of Scripture. Now, what's the action item for that? I'm guessing the action item is every, no Christian ever outgrows Scripture. No Christian, no matter how smart, ever says, now I'm going to put it to the side. I've taught OT survey 104 times at Columbia Bible College. I just taught it again at Willington Church in Vancouver recently in smaller section. I never say, well, I don't have to open it anymore. I know so much about it. Every single time I get to that, someone should smack me on the side of the head because you never outgrow Scripture. It every single day should bring new insights to you. Pray that the Holy Spirit would guide you as you read a number of verses. And as you pray that, pray that God would give you a new vision for what story it's telling and how you can join that story. All right, so those are the first two. The third big rock is that joining Jesus' kingdom story means joining Jesus' kingdom team. So you need to know that if you want to join and put on, have this jersey put on you, it's a team jersey. Guess what? It's a team jersey. I hear Christians tell me that, you know what? I like Jesus. I don't like the church. I don't like other Christians. They're not always that nice to me. Right? I say, well, just, this is a bit of a problem. Because it would be a little bit like someone saying, I want to be a volleyball player. I say, volleyball is great. It's wonderful. I say, tell me how you'd become a volleyball player. Well, I would go and I'd find a team to join. Guess what? If you want to be a member of Jesus' team, you need to join a team. You can't just tell Jesus, or you couldn't tell the volleyball coach, you know, I really like you as a coach, but I don't really, I'm not crazy about your team. So can we just hang out, coach and me? What would the coach ever say to you? Not happening, amen? You can't learn volleyball by sitting in a gym and the coach yelling instructions at you as you hit the ball up and down. It's not going to work. You're not playing volleyball if you're by yourself. You are not doing Jesus' team stuff if you're by yourself. 
Now, there are a number of verses that totally show this. Matthew 18, 20 says, for example, when two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. Now, I'm not saying Jesus doesn't gather with you personally. Jesus himself went off by himself to pray. But there is apparently something more significant about the presence of Jesus when people gather. The second thing in Matthew 16, 18, I tell you that you are Peter, which is singular, and on this rock I will build my church, collective group, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Jesus does not tell Peter, Peter, by yourself you'll overcome the gates of Hades. He does not say that. He says, I will build my church. Guess what a church is? It's a team. It's a group of people with a Jesus jersey pursuing the kingdom, worshiping this Jesus because of what they've experienced together. Now, I always thought it was interesting. I always thought that, in other words, when the gates of Hades attacks the church, they can't overcome the church. That's ridiculous. Guess what gates are? No one grabs gates and starts beating people with them. Gates are there to protect whom? Hades. Hades is not hell in Scripture. Hades is the place of the dead. In other words, death and darkness and separation from God are being protected by the gates of Hades. And guess what Jesus promises here? When the church, empowered by the Spirit, living out the gospel on mission, attacks Hades, not the other way around. So the purpose of College Drive Community Church, right? Make disciples, attack the gates of Hades. And guess what? The gates of Hades will not prevail. Is this not good news? Okay, some of you, I heard three people thought it was good news. This group, I'm not expecting them. <laughs> okay, this side, is it good news, people? Okay, it's good news. Thank you, Karen. Uh, she helped. That was really good. Okay. So, I hope we can agree together that the New Testament considers Christians who put on a jersey. It's, it's a Team Jesus jersey. It's not just a Jesus jersey. It's a body of Christ Team Jesus jersey. And therefore, if you want to be part of this gospel of the kingdom, defeating the powers of Hades, join the family. And that's very hard today. I've been teaching young adults for a very long time, and I know full well that their future spiritual life will often be exactly correlated with their decision whether or not they decide to join the team. Okay, let's just review these three things. But before that, I should say something. October 26th to 28th in Abbotsford, I, my team and I are overseeing a big conference at, at the Northview Community Church, and it's called Fire and Ashes, Why Church? YMB. And it's going to try to ask both those questions. Why is the church important to the mission of God in the world at a time when people are running away out the exits? And second of all, why does the MB church have a significant contribution that's worth participating in? And those are the two big questions we're asking November 26th to 28th there. So you're welcome to join us. You can look it up. It's called Equip, and it's on our website. It's available to look at. All right, so let's just review. The first big rock is that the gospel is about God bringing his kingdom to earth as it is in heaven. That's the first big rock, is knowing something about the gospel. How big, amazing, and beautiful it is. The second thing is that scripture 
is the inspired gospel story of God's kingdom coming to earth in and through Jesus. And lastly, that joining Jesus' kingdom story means joining Jesus' kingdom team. So this morning, let's stand together as I close in prayer. I hope you have heard something about experience and knowing and action this morning uh, because that is, I'll call the worship team to come forward, because that is exactly what we're invited to. Discipleship of Jesus isn't just because you're getting smarter because you're going to church. It's called obedience-based discipleship. And so as we close, I close in prayer and then the worship team will come up. I, I would like you to invite, maybe have an open posture again and think for a second, what is the Holy Spirit telling you this morning? Is the Holy Spirit inviting you to put on the Jesus team jersey? Maybe again, maybe for the first time. But to put it on today, is the Holy Spirit inviting you to put on glasses so that when you read Scripture, you can see better the gospel story that is within Scripture. If Scripture is boring to you, you haven't seen the gospel kingdom story in it. And lastly, maybe this morning Jesus is inviting you to a greater involvement with the team whether it's the team here, the team somewhere else in Lethbridge, or wherever. Maybe that's what Jesus is inviting to you. So let's pray together. Our great and awesome God, I thank you this morning that you are King of kings, Lord of lords, ultimate Father, love embodied, King enthroned. And Lord, you're inviting us into your kingdom story. You're forgiving us by grace giving us a new identity, inviting us to be filled with your spirit so we can live on mission here in Lethbridge with our neighbors, living well for you in school, living well for you in our work, wherever that is, raising children, blessing grandkids, volunteering wherever. May we honor you and bless our neighbors in the name of Jesus for your glory. I pray, Father, too, that we would have glasses so that we could see this morning through scripture, your beautiful, amazing gospel story. And may we also lean forward more and more into your team because the gates of Hades will not prevail against your team. Even though it doesn't look that way, we trust you by faith. And so College Drive Community Church, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you shalom in the name of Jesus for his glory. And all the people said... Amen. Uh, conference, you said.